Good morning, First Baptist. There was one other announcement that we need to make right quick. If you're uh, one of the Young at Heart folks that's going on the Nashville trip, we're going to have a quick meeting at the end of the service. Uh, Brother James says it'll only take five minutes. He's a preacher. He don't know how to tell time, but it'll be close to that. So uh, five minutes at the end of the service, come down front. Anybody that's headed on the Nashville trip coming up this coming Wednesday. I want to thank everybody that volunteered, not only last night, but this morning. Uh, for uh, Hallowed Nights, City Lights and Hallowed Nights. We don't know how many people were here for it yet, but we can tell you that I think Gray showed up and most everybody, what, east of Atlanta. Uh, it was, there was a whole slew of folks that were here last night. It was an excellent, excellent event here on campus. But it was sort of cool this morning to come in and see uh, several men were out in the parking lot, hadn't been asked, but they were pulling trash cans around picking up some of the leftover trash from last night, blowing off the parking lots. Uh, had folks that left last night and came back to clean up last night. want to thank you very much. It's, uh, it's great to see when folks volunteer for stuff, not being asked, just step up to the plate. That was very, very cool. Glad to see you all here this morning. Remember when you look around yourself, every now and then I hear somebody say, well, you know, it's sort of empty in the sanctuary. Yeah, there's about 100 people over in the chapel. So we've got two groups going here, and this gives you plenty of room to invite folks to come every Sunday to join with us in worship here at First Baptist Church. We do have a couple of first-time visitors in the house today. As you walk out today, see if you see a new face, make sure you let them know that you're happy that they're here and this place could be home, and it certainly feels like home to us. Look forward to what the Lord's going to do this morning in the service, and before we start the worship service, let's go to God in prayer. And thank him for what he's done for us. And Lord, I pray this morning, it's a beautiful day, all the normal stuff that we talk about. But Lord, we, we thank you that we can come and worship a holy God. We pray this morning, Lord, as we stand before you, that what that means becomes more plain to us. And Lord, we understand how big you are. No, we don't. We want to understand or start understanding more of how big you are, knowing that we can never comprehend that and understand how powerful you are and how holy you are and how much you love each and every person here and how you can restore every person to an a Eden-like love for you. Wash away all of our sins. Make us all brand new. Get rid of all of our baggage. Father, help us this morning to hear and to understand. I pray that our worship would be acceptable to you, and I pray, Father, in this hour that we would meet Jesus and we would take Jesus out of here when we go. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, a lot of people look at that scripture and say that that's, that applies to the United States. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it applies to the church because we are God's people. And he tells us that if we will humble ourselves. I'm on a journey. It is not a pleasant journey. I know it's going to have a good ending. It'll be the right ending. But it's a journey that I don't know, that I wasn't expecting. It's a new, different, 
exciting and frightening journey all at the same time because God put me on this journey and he refuses to tell me where it's going to end up except that he says that it's going to end up where he wants it to end up and it will be to his honor and glory and get on with it. The other morning I was sitting in, uh, in my chair where I have my prayer time every morning and as I prayed about this I just had this strong sense that he was saying to me, get up, get to work. And it's weird for those of you that have, that have a quiet time every day, that you, you have that moment that you, there's a spirit that sort of is around you, and all of a sudden it's gone, and it's time to get up and get to work. And what he was telling me was, get up and get to work on this message. Talk about what we're going to talk about. Invite the people of the First Baptist Church of Gray to be on the same journey that you're on. Now, I think many of you are like me. We're not in the book of John today, even though we're going to use some John scripture. This is different. And give you a little background right quick of why we're doing this. Prayer, we've got the prayer vigil. I firmly believe that prayer is the answer to everything. I mean, it really is. It's, it's, you com- that's how you communicate with God. You've got to have the prayer thing going on. And if we back away from prayer, then there's no telling what's going to happen. We start doing what we think is good, and, and that turns out to be a mess. So we're going to start the prayer vigil all over again, and we're doing a little bit different this time. It won't go overnight, so we don't have to worry about security and all that. It's going to be on a, on a Friday from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I think is right, and a Saturday from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So it's in the daytime. We're going to have it so you can get in the church and doors locked and all that kind of good stuff so we're going to start that all over again and so we thought about well you know what need to do is talk to the congregation about prayer and so I've prayed I've preached a bunch of prayer sermons I did a prayer course one time that was like 23 chapters on different ways to pray and all this kind of good stuff and then I sit down to do this and God says we ain't doing all that stuff we're going somewhere and we're going somewhere different and I said well okay fine So here we are. I think that many of you are like me. Now I'm going to be frank and be honest with y'all today. Y'all can go home and talk bad about me if you want to. And that's just peachy keen as far as I care because I know what I'm talking about here. And I believe, I believe that you, like me, believe that the Bible is true even if we don't see it happening around us even if we don't see it happen. You see, I read things in the Scripture, and if you're honest, you read things in the Scripture too that Jesus said and Paul said and Peter said and other people said, and they said that we can do these things, and then we're standing here, and those things don't happen. I've never seen them for real happen in front of me, the things the Bible says that we can do. But I still believe that we can do them. I don't believe that God lied about those things. I think that Jesus is waiting for us. I believe these things are waiting for us to do, not because of Jesus, but because of us. It's the the old breakup line is true. I don't know if any of you ever used the breakup line. I never did because I was the perfect gentleman and I did everything just the way it was supposed to be done. Don't ask, don't ask. But that line, well, it's not you, it's me. But in this case, that's true. We look at God and, it, and it's not you, God. 
It is me. And Jesus, it's not Jesus that's holding us back. He told us what to do. And he's sitting there waiting on us. It's the first scripture I look at. We're on a journey, so don't expect, you know, five words that begin with the same letter. I can't do that stuff very well at all anyway. But, but here we go. John 14, 12 through 14 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me, listen, the one who believes in me. Do you believe, the, do you believe that what the Bible says is what it says, right? I mean, you don't have to, sometimes it's an, an analogy and sometimes it's allegory and sometimes it's simile and hyperbole and all those things that you learn in English. But, 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 but a lot of times when he's speaking, what he says is flat up what he means, okay? And here Jesus says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, all right? And then he says, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now let's break this thing down. Jesus said, we will do the works that he does. Now we're not going to sit here and list them all out. One at a time, this is what Jesus did. What we're going to do is remember that fantastic sermon that we heard in this church last week. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> I hope you heard it. If you didn't, go to the website, look it up. It's out there. You can, you can listen to them every week. We're on podcast. You can get them and listen to them while you're driving in the car, using CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play. <clears throat> you want to hear it, it's out there. And last week, we talked about God being sovereign. And, and we say that all the time. And what that means is that God's above all more powerful than anything else. And that there are two things that he can do that nobody else can do. And that is he gives life and death. He has the power over life and the power over death. And so we look at Jesus. Remember last week, Jesus said, I do what the Father does. I see the Father. I do exactly what the Father does. And that means that Jesus... On this earth, everything he did was to bring life. Everything that he did was to bring life. So, everything we do is supposed to bring life. Agree or disagree? But I think that's what I'm seeing here. That God brings life, that Jesus brings life, that everything we do is to bring life. And then Jesus says... We'll do greater works than he did. And I believe he meant this literally. So that if he sat on a mountain and fed 5,000 people, then we ought to be able to feed hundreds of thousands of people. Because, see, he did it one at a time. He brought life to a few people at a time. We can bring life to thousands of people. Why can we do more than that? Because Jesus went to the Father. Y'all going to have to listen. You've got to believe this stuff. It's true, and it, I'm telling you. Jesus went to the Father, and what's unspoken here, but spoken later in, in the different parts of the gospel, is that when he went to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, here's what happened to you. If you are truly a born-again believer in the Son of God, if you are born again, your spirit inside of you, you have a spirit, a soul, and a body, that spirit inside of you, because of sin, was dead as a rock to God. Dead as a rock. 
And when you died in that condition, you were going to be dead as a rock to God for all eternity. But when Jesus came and died and shed his blood on the cross for each one of us, he said, believe on me and you'll be saved. And when we believe on him and trust him to do what he says he's going to do, his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in your spirit. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? You have the Holy Spirit of the Almighty God living within you, which means that Jesus could be one man, one place at a time, and all of us can be everywhere with him in us. He is multiplied over and over again. Let's do some math, okay? First Baptist Church of Gray, get down. Y'all got to understand, y'all got to get where I am in my head, and if we're all, I mean, it's a strange place in there, but you got to be there. A lot of us still think of the First Baptist Church of Gray as a small church. And we want it to stay that way. Because do you know how many members we have at First Baptist Church? Over a thousand members. And what we're going to have one day, I don't know how we're going to have it, we're going to have it at some time, is we're going to have an all-at-once day. Where we try to get everybody, because see, we've counted that about 750 people pass through here, 750 individuals pass through this church every month. And what we want to do is have an all-at-once day where all 750 people show up at one time. There you go. And you know what you're going to do? We're going to go, there's nowhere to sit. And some of you are going to get real upset because your seat's going to have a stranger in it. And that stranger is going to be a member of the First Baptist Church of Gray. Now let's assume for a minute that all thousand people of the First Baptist Church of Gray are Christian. That's a big assumption because all you got to do is walk down the aisle and say something and you're a member of the church. But let's assume that all thousand people, Randy, that's judgmental. I don't care. It's true. There's a thousand people that come to this church. You know I'm right. thousand people that come to this church, let's assume that every one of them is a Christian. That means a thousand people have the spirit of Jesus living in them. A thousand people. So if Jesus could feed 5,000 people, that means a thousand people with the Spirit of Jesus in them ought to be able to feed 5 million. Now that sounds stupid. But what did the man say? Greater things than these you will do. And if you remember the scripture last week, he said you will do things that will amaze. I will do things in you that will amaze you. We are, we are limited because of where we're going here. We've prayed for some of that kind of thing to happen. And Jesus said, whatever you ask, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you will be honest, I am being painfully honest this morning. If you will be honest... You have prayed those prayers and you're still waiting for that answer. And you're wondering if this is true. And somebody in here is going to go all Sunday school on me. Because I've said the same kind of thing in a class 
that I taught in discipleship training. You old Baptist people remember discipleship training? I taught a discipleship training class, and I made this same statement, and I had people jump all over me and say, but pastor, we see miracles every day. We see miracles happening all over the place. Yeah, we see God's hand at work all over the place, but I'm telling you right now, we are not seeing greater things than what Jesus did happening right here in Gray, Georgia. No, we're not. We're not. And if we're honest, we will agree that that's true. Yes, we see him working. I'm not saying that we don't. He said greater things than what I did, you're going to do. So we pray these prayers and we go to God and we ask him why. And he takes me to James chapter 4, verse 3. Some of y'all a little trigger just went off in your head when I said that one. James chapter 4, verse 3, where he says, You ask and don't receive. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And we think about pleasures as, as things that make us feel good, but pleasures could just be things that make us comfortable. Jesus says that he delivers so that the Father, his reason, that he delivers, he does what he does on this earth, not for us to be happy or comfortable or have pleasure. He does what he does on this earth so that the Father would be glorified. That's the purpose behind it, he says. You know what I detest? I can't stand them. They drive me crazy. End zone dances. I'm serious. You see the guys, number one, they're getting paid millions of dollars to, to catch a ball and get in the end zone, and then they do their little, you know? Really? That's what you're going to do? Let me help you understand something. This is why I hate, absolutely despise end zone dances. I don't care how good you are. I don't care. The Georgia game last week, we had three different line uh, running backs jump over three defenders. It looked cool. Great running. Let me tell you something. Those guys, no matter how good they are, they wouldn't be snap if they didn't have a coach, a quarterback, an offensive line, other linebackers, other running backs, other receivers that were going down the field to draw defenders off to give them the opportunity to run a little bit. What they ought to do is when they get to the end zone, set the ball down, turn around and go back to their team and let the team celebrate. Because it was not one person doing it. And I wonder if we don't receive because God knows that when we do something, we're going to spike the ball and we're all going to stand around saying, Woo, look at what First Baptist Church did. Weren't we dynamite? Look at what we done. And we forgot the one that brung us. We forget to dance with the one that brought us to the dance. John 17, I know this is hard. I, I would love to preach an Andy Stanley sermon. God, don't let me. Jesus looked up to the heaven. John 17, starting with verse 17. John, Jesus looked up to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life. What did we say Jesus came to do? He came to give life. Right? So here's Jesus saying, I came to give eternal life to everyone that you have given me. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. 
I have glorified you on the earth. Listen, 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 listen. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' motive, the motive of the Holy Spirit that lives within us is to glorify God. And Jesus answers right here what that's going to look like. And so we don't have to have a lot of questions. What is it going to look like for us to glorify God? Well, Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth by completing the works that you gave me to do. That's how Jesus said he glorified the Father, right? I mean, that's what it says very plainly right there. So we studied Ephesians several months back. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Jesus glorified the, God, the Father. Jesus made the Father happy. Jesus brought satisfaction to the Father by completing the work that the Father gave him to do. Do you reckon, do you suppose, do you think just maybe that we will glorify the Father when we do the work that the Father has given us to do? Don't you think that would make Jesus happy? Don't you think that would glorify God when we do what he's called us to do? And follow the logic. The work we were given should be collective. The, the work that we're given is, it should be greater than the work that Jesus did when he was here. There was one of him, there's a thousand of us. And he says, we'll do greater work. There's a thousand of us. And think of the Christians that are in this community. And how many there are here? There's supposed to, there's 10,000 church members of various churches. There's only two groups in there that I wouldn't consider Christian. And you might disagree with me, but I, I would be right on this. And they only are about 400 people. So there's about 9,600 people in Jones County that go to church. And we're going to equate that with being Christian. Can you imagine the work that would happen if everybody? What? Now the journey that Jesus took me to was to Mark chapter 9, verse 29. And guys, what you've got to understand is I didn't sit at home trying to look these things up. I was sitting quietly before the Lord and one comes after another. That's just what happened this time. And so he takes me to Mark, 20, Mark 9, 29, and here's the story. Jesus, James, and John have, have gone, uh, Jesus, James, John, and Peter have gone to the mountaintop, and for those of you who are as old as I am and have been in church all your life, that's known as the transfiguration. It's where Jesus is, is, is glorified while he's standing there, and he talks to Elijah and Moses, and the three disciples that are with him are just overawed at this whole thing. And while they're on the mountaintop having the most spiritual experience that these three guys will ever have in their whole life, back at the ranch, it ain't going so well. You see, there was a daddy Strange, I haven't noticed that until we started preaching through John, how many times there's a daddy that's got an issue with a child. Maybe that's because that's what hits us here so deep. 
And daddy's got a child. I want you to think about it. Get into the story. Daddy's got a child that has a spirit that won't let him speak. And every now and then, and I think it sounds like maybe epilepsy or some kind of seizure disorder. Because every now and then the child would have a seizure and would fall into the fire. Or every now and then the child would have a seizure and fall into the water. And daddy would have to pull him out and save him. Now that sounds all cool, but I want you to think about this. Because this had to go through daddy's head. What if I'm not there? What if my boy has a seizure and falls into the fire and I'm not there to rescue him and nobody pulls him out and my child dies an agonizing death? What if my child falls into the water and I can't get into him? I'm telling you, the worst five seconds of my life. It seemed like it lasted a year. The worst five seconds of my life is when we were swimming one time and Ben was in this little floaty thing that you put kids in and Ben has talents that none of us have and somehow this floaty thing that cannot turn upside down Ben turned it upside down and his head is down and his feet are up in the air doing this nonsense and I, I, I from here to there away from him it took me two and a half weeks to get over there y'all know how that works that's the longest most terrifying thing in the world you flip him up and he's going ah, and you're terrified because something's going to happen to my baby. That's where this man was. And he came to the disciples while Jesus is on the mountaintop. He comes to the disciples and he talks to the disciples and he says, y'all got to do something. I heard, you're, I heard you're in town. I've heard that you guys can, can cast out demons. Help me. And they did everything they could. And that, and, and that spirit just stayed. And so Jesus comes off the mountaintop and, and found what you find, you find all over the place is when things don't work right, everybody starts blaming each other and starts fussing at each other. And they've got this little thing going on there. And Jesus says, what's going on, boys? And the father comes over and he explains to Jesus. And then he insults Jesus. He says, if you can, help us. And Jesus responds, when you go back and read the story, Jesus responds in Randy's mind a little indignantly. He looks at him and says, if I can, anything can happen to the person that believes. And Jesus cast out the spirit. Not only does he cast out the spirit, when you read it in Mark 9, you're going to see that he cast out the spirit so that it would never come back. It's be gone forever. Daddy said, and this is the prayer that you and I have prayed a million times. I know I've prayed it a million times. I believe, help my unbelief. Because I know you'll do it, Jesus. But I don't know if you're going to do it for me, and I don't know if you're going to do it right now. I believe, help my unbelief. And now the disciples come to Jesus after the crowd's gone, and they're, they're puzzled. They say, why, why couldn't we get this thing out? And Jesus said, this kind comes out by nothing but prayer. And now we're right back where we started from. Here we are with prayer again. Nothing but prayer. So I asked the Lord, I said, is there something amiss with our prayer life? And then I remembered he answered that question before we, I ever asked it. I heard a podcast not too long ago that reminded me, listen, y'all, that it reminded me that prayer is a conversation. And not only should we be talking to Jesus, there should be times when we're quiet. 
and he talks to us. And we're still, and we let him speak to us. And you know, we're just doing what we've been taught to do. We've been taught to make prayer lists. And we've got prayer lists that are mile long. And we'll go to our prayer time, and we'll sit down, and we'll go through every name on the prayer list. Some of those people on the prayer list we don't even know we don't even care about. It was a friend of a friend of a friend that wanted us to pray for them, and they're on our prayer list, and we sit there and we tell God that we want you to heal this person and take this person here and bless this person and keep this person safe. And we are telling Almighty God all these things that he needs to do, rarely even stopping to take a breath, and then we'll say, in Jesus' name, amen. And then we go on about our way. We've been taught to do that. And then we get talking about coming to a, y'all stay with me, and then we're talking about coming to a, a, a prayer vigil and we're going, what in the world am I going to pray for for 30 minutes? My prayer list lasts 10. I got nothing to tell God for the next 20 minutes. What am I going to do? Well, maybe we pray for 10 minutes and then we're quiet for 20. And we let him speak to us. Matthew 6, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their own reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Guys, we're Gentiles, by the way. I have a big nose, but that don't make me Jewish. It just makes me a Gentile with a big nose. My children have big noses. It, it runs in the family. Wait until I die. We'll have big ears, too. My granddaddy had the biggest ears, like Dumbo the elephant. I don't know why those things just keep growing. But don't make us Jewish, though. It's just we're Gentiles. All of us are Gentiles. And he says here, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for the many words. It's almost like he's saying, guys, pray your prayer list, but remember, that's not the bottom line. Don't be like them. Because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. So he tells me to find a private place and pray. And the Father will reward that. He says not to recite the prayers that we've learned. God is great. God is good. Let us, bless, let us thank Him for our food. It's great for your little kids to pray. But once they learn how to pray, we need to branch out into other things. It doesn't have to be a formula that we pray. One of the things, and this is off topic and I know and I need to hush and go on. But i got to finish because we got to understand this. But one of the things that drives me crazy in prayers is Christians love the word just. Lord, just do this, just do that, just do, we'll say just 55 times in the sermon. In my world, I think just means I want you to do just this one thing. And then I ask him to do just this one thing 52 different times. No, give it up. Talk to him. Talk to him. Talk to him. Find a private place. Pray. He'll reward us for that. Jesus said, don't pray like all of this, but pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. We're getting to the beginning here, so y'all hang on. Or as many of us memorized it, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We heard it just a few minutes ago. And that's where my journey stopped. He stopped at that point. He said, okay, let's talk about a few things. I don't believe in coincidences. I do not believe in coincidences. If I had a life verse, which I don't 
do all that stuff. But if I had a life verse, it would be Romans 8, 29 that says, those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He is working on me all the time to make me like Jesus. All the time. There are no coincidences in my life. He's doing the things that he does in my life to make me like Jesus and all the people around me like Jesus. So I believe I was given the book Rut, Rot, or Revival by A.W. Tozer. Preacher back in the 50s, 1950s, long time ago. That's when I was born. When I got that book, I started reading it, and then I stopped because I had too many books reading at one time. So I said, when I finish this, I'll start that. And as it would work out, when I'm reading this book, exactly where I am in this book is exactly where we're here, we are here. And I went, oh, I get it. That's what Tozer said. Am I ready for Tozer? No, I'm not ready for Tozer. The book on Tozer, I need to tell you this. When I stopped at Your Name Be Honored as Holy, I can't help but remember Tom Hughes at AT AT&T. Tom Hughes reported to Kathy, who reported to some guy that I can't remember his name, who reported to Randall Stevenson, who was the CEO of the corporation. Over a period of time while I worked there, that guy that I can't remember his name left, and Kathy reported to Randall Stevenson, and Tom reported to Kathy. Tom was rarefied air. He was a big dog. He was somebody at AT AT&T. I was a second-level sole contributor, and my job was to support Tom and his team. I still have Tom's cell phone number in my phone. I didn't call his secretary. I didn't go through anybody to get to Tom. When I called him, he answered the phone. We talked about each other's kids. We were friendly. There were times that Tom would be at his son's ball game. He would stop talking to me so he could cheer for his son. And then after whatever it was was over, was over, he would come back and talk to me just a little bit longer. We were friendly. I believe, I truly believe that if I had asked Tom for help, he would have come through. But I never, and I mean never, walked into Tom's presence flippantly or unprepared. I was always ready when I met with Tom Hughes. I was always ready. I never took our relationship for granted ever. And I never considered him to be my buddy. He wasn't my buddy. He wasn't my chum. I knew my place. He wasn't one of the boys. He was Tom Hughes, vice president of AT&T. I understood that Tom Hughes, if he felt like it, could make me disappear. Any of you people that work in the corporate world understand that there are people above you that you do the right thing on the right day, and you won't be back the next day. You're just gone, just like that. Tom could do that to me. I knew that I had seen Tom do that to people. I knew that relationship. I understood who he was and who I was. I was never arrogant with him. I was never overly confident. I approached Tom with secular reverence, with secular respect, and secular fear. And God is so much more than Tom. That's what God started speaking to me. That God is so much more than any man, and yet I will come into God's presence Oh, unconcerned about anything that matters to God whatsoever, that I'll come into God's presence flippantly and arrogantly telling him what to do. There's no reason for me to finish the rest of the Lord's Prayer because why should he answer us? Why should he answer me? If we don't take the first sentence seriously, why bother with the rest? 
Your name is holy. Now here's where I read Tozer. We'll be through in a minute. Don't go to sleep. Wake up. I'm supposed to yell here. I brought a whistle yesterday so I could blow it. So y'all thank me for not bringing it. Charles Finney was a well-known preacher of the 19th century. Not all of us agree with everything that he taught, but we believe that he was one of God's great men, perhaps one of the greatest evangelists who has ever lived since the Apostle Paul. Finney said that there were times or periods occasionally when he would get into a rut, which is where we are, and there would be a definite dimming of power in his life. When that would happen, Finney said, I took time off and waited on God in fasting and prayer until I was restored. This is the old-fashioned way of doing it, he said. It seems like the way King David did it. The Psalms were wet with David's salty tears as he confessed his sins sins to God, repented, took forgiveness, and then went on his happy way. Tozer goes on to recommend something that I'm going to do and I'm going to ask you to do with me. I'm challenging you to do it. Begin it on those two days of prayer. I'm, uh, the devotion for the next three weeks that, I, that are emailed to your home has it on there. We're inviting anybody who will to sign up and come to the sanctuary for at least a half an hour on one of those two days. If you are providentially hindered and you want to pray somewhere else, pray somewhere else. If you want to argue about where you can pray, then, then just don't pray. Don't worry about it. But if you feel God calling you to pray, find your place to, place to pray and do this challenge, okay? I'm coming to the sanctuary. When I come, I'm bringing Bible, paper, and pen. I'm going to Matthew chapter 5. Y'all listen. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 and I'm going to start reading it's the Sermon on the Mount and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read each section at a time it's no more than five or ten verses when you got your Bible if you look in your Bible you might have there you can see the headings that mine has if yours doesn't have headings you might have the uh, number a verse number will be bold that tells you that's a new section and if you don't have any of that then as you're reading you can just tell when it changes ideas that well you're in a new section okay when you get to a new section when I get to a new section I'm going to stop listen to me listen to me listen to me if you don't hear anything else listen to me when you get to the end of the section you're going to stop you're going to lean back and you're going to ask this question Jesus is this me and then you're not going to say another word And see, what's going to happen is the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to think of me and you and everybody else around that fits into this thing. And you've got to lean back and stop again. And you've got to say, Jesus, is this me? And when the answer comes, and it most assuredly will come, you write down those memories that you start having at that moment. And then when you get through with that, you go to the next section, and you read the next section, and you do the same thing. And after you've done that for a little while, stop and go back and read those things that you've written down on that paper, and then confess all of those things to God. And it's going to be humbling, because I can stand right here, and I can think of half a dozen things that I'm so ashamed of I can't breathe. And I know they're going to come up. And I can't hide them from God. I have to let him know. Tell those things and tell him that I am going to turn away from them, knowing that I'm lying when I say it because I'm going to try with all of might, and yet I know that the flesh will beat me sometimes. And tell him that I'm sorry and tell him that I'm repenting and ask him to forgive me for these things. Now, I'll talk a little theology real quick with you. Forgiveness Yeah, when we're saved, we're forgiven. All of our sins, past, present, and future. Yeah, we are. 
But listen, when I stand before a holy God, holding him holy in my eyes, understanding who I am before him, and surrendering my will to him, the words, I'm sorry, are always going to show up. They're always going to show up. And here are some of the questions you're going to be asked. Almost done. Hang on. Here's some of the questions. You're going to be confronted with, am I always truthful and honest? Do I have any habits that I'm ashamed to let anyone know that I have? Is my speech clean? Do I use my money wisely? Do I gossip about people? Have I been a troublemaker? Have I judged other Christians? Where do my thoughts tend to stray when I let my mind run free? Do I pray enough? These questions are crushing. And we want to avoid those. But Jesus promised that we'd do greater things than he would do and we're not. And this is the root cause. My heart's heavy thinking about it. There's conviction coming. I've had situations before in my life where I've prayed to the Lord with tears in my eyes. I've prayed, please don't let this be my fault. I don't think I can stand one more time of having something my fault. Please, Lord, don't let this be my fault. And I'm wanting to do an exercise here where I'm going to lean back and go over and over and over again. That was mine. 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 And I'm sorry. But then I'm going to understand. Tozer said this too. Put yourself in the hands of the one who loves you infinitely. If you have failed him, you will have to admit that. Tell him so, so don't hide it. He'll not turn his back in anger and say, you disappointed me and betrayed me. There is healing in the blood of the lamb that will get you out of the rut. Because see, as we understand who we are, we'll understand the greatness of who he is. And we see the greatness of who he is and how much he loves us and he, we cannot be separated from him ever. Then we might start understanding what it is we need to do. I'm asking you to join me on the journey. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm asking you to do it too. Because I believe if we do, I believe amazing things are going to happen. Attitudes will change. Hearts will change. And we'll do greater things than Jesus ever did. Because he said we would. Y'all pray with me. It's an old hymn that came to my mind because I remember who he is. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Fair are the meadows, fair are still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus, you are fairer. Jesus, you are pure. You make my woeful heart to sing. Beautiful Savior, Lord of all nations, Son of God and Son of man, glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forever more be thine. Amen.
one word invitation. Repent. Would you stand?